0: Well, it's certainly great to see all of you here this morning, some familiar faces and some visitors. It's, it's really great to see all of you here. Something which all of us know is that movies like Marley and Me, Hachi, I'm Legend share a common theme, and that's we all cry at the moment when the owner of a dog loses their dog. And Those are the worst types of movies, am I right? Even men like us will cry in movies where dogs die. And this even leads many young children to ask the question, well, do dogs go to heaven? And today I believe what Mark is telling us is that indeed dogs do get saved. It might be something different than what we might think. And I hope to show that to you today. And so Peter has looked at various aspects of the Gospel of Mark in the previous weeks, sort of putting Mark as a drama with various acts. And as we are moving closer to Jesus' procession into Jerusalem and ultimately His death, we see His mission to the Jews in Galilee coming to a close, and His move towards Jerusalem becoming a greater act in that. So open up your Bibles again if, if you've lost your space to verse 24 again and and try and keep your bibles open because i'll be going through the verses and be alluding to them without reading them again but ultimately our, our first passage that we're going to be looking at is the dialogue that jesus has with the syrophoenician woman and the point the first point of the sermon will be jesus rewarding the faith of dogs jesus rewarding the faith of dogs and so in verse 24, we see Jesus moving back into a Gentile region with the name Tyre and Sidon. We see Jesus moving away from mainly speaking to the Jews and proclaiming the kingdom of God to merely Jews. And it's quite interesting to note that he's in this area of Sidon. We see in the Old Testament, this was a region where Jezebel came from. This was certainly not a region which the Jews viewed fondly. Jewish historian Josephus tells us that This area of Tyre and the people there were the worst enemies of the Jews. Yet we see Jesus coming to this place. And in verse 25, we see that Jesus is not merely coming to a Gentile region, but we see a woman approaching Jesus. And we've looked at this throughout our teachings on the gospel, but women were viewed as lower class citizens. A woman would certainly not approach a rabbi. And if she did, he would never approach. have a conversation with her. Yet here we see that this woman, a Gentile, who would have been unclean in the eyes of the Jews, has a problem. Her daughter has an unclean spirit within her. So it's not merely an unclean woman coming to Jesus, but her daughter has got something unclean within her. Any rational Jew would have just ignored this woman. I mean, there are many problems to be ignored. Yet we see Jesus speaking to her. And in a real sense, we see Jesus teaching from the previous chapter being put to the test. Remember, Jesus taught the Pharisees that it's not a thing which comes from outside into your body that defiles you. It's that which comes from the inside out. And so just after Jesus taught the Pharisees what it means to be unclean, we see that teaching being put to the test immediately with a woman being called unclean. So, is Jesus who he said he is? Is his teaching trustworthy? And he's being put to the test very quickly. So, how does Jesus respond? Does he just heal this woman's daughter? Does he just speak to her nicely as we would expect him to do? No. Well, he responds by saying, Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I mean, this response is certainly not diplomatic. The whole tone of the sentence is sort of offensive. it's, It's very close to the range and intention that Jesus really does not want to help this woman. For us, in our modern context, we might not understand why this was so offensive. But dogs were regarded by the Jews and all of the Semitic nations around them as being unclean animals. Biblical references to Jews are never positive. The Jews viewed the Gentiles as dogs, as unclean, as things which shouldn't even be in the house. Dogs weren't dogs like we know dogs. They were kept outside. And so this is the sort of language a Gentile might expect from a Jew, sure. But Jesus, Jesus saying to this woman that she is a dog and not part of the children of God. But then secondly, what is Jesus m- meaning when he tells her that the bread is merely for the children? In John 6, we see, for example, Jesus referring to himself as the bread of life. Throughout the Old Testament, bread has this connotation of being God's way of providing for his people. We see this in the wilderness with the manna. And we see this in the showbread, for example, in the temple where the Jews would put out bread as a sign Of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. So, what Jesus is saying to this woman, in effect, is the provision, the nourishment, the covenant faithfulness of God is to the children, is to the Jews. It's not to the dogs, it's not to the Gentiles. He's reminding this lady that the messianic bread, himself, God's provision for Israel, is not to be enjoyed by the Gentiles, it's merely to be enjoyed by the Jews. So we expect this woman to scold Jesus, right? If anybody spoke to me like that, I certainly wouldn't act nicely. I certainly would respond in a positive way. Yet in verse 28, we see this woman respond in a manner that no one of us would expect. She says, yes, Lord, recognizing the authority which Jesus carries. And she debates Jesus. She says, yes. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So this lady is taking the image which Jesus uses and she's pushing it to its fullest extent. Saying, yes, Lord, if you're calling us the dogs, you know that even children mess crumbs on the floor. So surely there has to be of this messianic bread, this provision of God for the children as well. So she's not disputing the lower position of the dogs. She isn't disputing that the children of God, Israel, are the rightful heirs to the Messianic proclamation. Yet she insists that every dog will have its day. To put it more theologically, she recognized that the mission of Jesus as the Messianic King to Israel was not only to be confined to the people of Israel, she recognized that even though Gentiles will have to wait to share in the Messianic bread, in Christ's provision, they will not be excluded from the benefits which He brings. On this basis, this seed of faith in this Syrophoenician woman, she recognizes that even the crumbs of this Messiah will be enough. There is enough of this Messianic bread to go around, even if she can share Merely in the crimes thereof. Now, it's impossible to know whether Jesus actually never intended to help her. I I would guess, since he's all knowing, he knew the way she would respond, and this was merely a way of Jesus to challenge her faith. And for many of us, that might sound weird to speak of this woman's faith, but yet we see that there is a seed of faith in this woman. Unlike the Pharisees in the previous story who had hardened hearts and lived in a hypocritical manner, we see this woman recognizing Jesus, replying, yes, Lord. There are marks of saving faith in this woman. There's a knowledge of Christ and there's a sense where she trusts Him that He is who He says He is. He is the one who's able to bring healing to her daughter. It's also interesting to note that The disciples, after the first feeding of the multitudes and seeing Jesus walk on the water, Mark says that they were still without understanding about the loaves. So it's not just the Jews who were misunderstanding Jesus. It was not only the Jews who had hardened hearts, but even his own followers who have seen all of his miracles, who have heard all of his teaching, were still without understanding, even after seeing him walk on water even after seeing Him feeding the 5,000. Some of you today might be here doubting whether you have saving faith, whether the knowledge that you have of Christ is enough to save you. Yet here we see a Syrophoenician woman with a slight knowledge of Christ, partnered with trust in Jesus, that He is who He says He is, and He will do What he says he will do, being rewarded for that seed of faith. Many of us feel like our faith is but a mere seed. This woman threw everything she had at Jesus. She had no other option. Her daughter was afflicted by a demon. She threw everything she had at him with the small seed of faith that she had. Knowledge partnered with saving trust in Jesus. She recognized that she had no claim to this Messiah. She recognized she had no claim to come and ask Jesus for a miracle. She recognized that the bread of life was primarily to the children of God. Yet in receiving the crumbs, she knew it would be enough. Let us approach Jesus in this manner, not as those who feel we have a claim to the things he brings or the things he says, but humbly as those in need of grace and in dire need of this bread of life where even the crumbs would be enough. And so we get to a second story, a healing of a man who was deaf and had struggled to speak. The second point of the sermon, we focus on this, I've titled it, Jesus' opening the ears of deaf dogs. Jesus opening the ears of deaf dogs. So Jesus moves from this one Gentile area, Tyre and Sidon, to a second Gentile area in the Decapolis. And can you remember in Mark 5 when Jesus came to this area and he healed the man possessed by Legion? There was clear animosity towards Jesus when he left. The people chased Jesus out. Because of the pigs dying. So the people in this area asked him to leave. Yet, what is their response to Jesus this time? In verse 32, we see that people bringing this man to Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew also tells us about this event. And Matthew tells us that a great crowd came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. So, what changed? In Mark 5, we see the people chasing Jesus away, wanting nothing to do with him. Yet here we see the people bringing the afflicted to him. Well, in Mark 5:19, we see Jesus speaking to this man he healed, telling him that you can't come with me, but go out and proclaim to the people the work that I have done. What a great testimony of the work of the gospel. Through this one man, a whole region changed. We see this region chasing Jesus away, yet the evangelism of this one man points them to the mercy of God. Leads to this massive expectation in this region to the second coming of Jesus, to his return. And when he returned, well, they recognized him and brought him all of the afflicted. This possessed man is a great reminder for us here in Norway. Many of us might be the only Christian in our workplace, in a region who rejects Christ and wants nothing to do with him. Norway is very much like this decapolis, just chasing Jesus away, wanting nothing to do with him. Let us point them to the mercy of God. Let us show them what Jesus has done in our lives and on the cross. And this might lead to a whole region waiting in eager expectation for the return of Jesus. And so we continue. We see the people bringing this deaf man with a speech impediment. The Greek literally tells us that his tongue was bound. So this man clearly had a lot of problem. He couldn't hear. He would see mouths moving and nothing would come out. And he would struggle to even communicate. And what does Jesus do? Well, it's quite strange. He puts his fingers into this man's ears. And after spitting, he puts his spit in the man's tongue. This is bizarre. I mean, in our post-COVID germaphobe world, this is certainly not an acceptable way to bring healing to someone. I dare any of you to do this. When you see anybody with a speech impediment or, or deaf on the street, this, nobody would stand for this. Why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus not pray for him from afar or touch him by the shoulder? Well, Jesus touches him where he needs healing. Jesus touches the ears of this man who needed healing to show his closeness to those who are suffering. In a very real sense, Jesus is showing to this man and to us reading this how close he gets with those in need of his healing. That he puts his spit on this man's tongue and he puts his his fingers in this man's ears. But more than that, this man is a model for us. We, like this man, are spiritually deaf. How many times do we sit in church, we hear the gospel, yet we're not moved? How many times do we as Christians sit here and Matt or Peter preaches and it's like their mouths move, but no words touch our hearts? We are in need of our spiritual ears to be opened. What a great Messiah we have in Jesus who comes close to us, who touches our ears to hear. He's not far from us. He touches us and He comes close to us exactly where we need it. Like that saying goes, He he meets us where we're at. This is showing that that Jesus met this man where he was at and he touches his ears. For us who are saved, we should pray that Jesus would open the ears of those who are spiritually deaf, the unsaved. Otherwise they'll be just like this deaf man, unable to hear our words. Christian who's not here today asked me a question during lunch last week and he said, it's so bizarre to him that There are so many atheists with such an immense knowledge of the Bible. And his question was, how is it possible to read the Bible and not be moved? How is it possible to see what Jesus did and not be moved? And my response to him was, well, they're spiritually blind. They see, but they don't see. And many times we have people, we have unbelieving friends we share sermons to. And we're like, man, this this will get him. This is the thing they need. This guy will tell them exactly what they need. And their response? Yeah, that was fine. I guess that was okay. It's not the mistake of the preacher or our mistake or our fault for not being able to communicate well. It's their ears that are deaf. They need Christ to open their ears. And if Christ doesn't open their ears, we can speak to them and share the gospel with them until we're blue in the face It won't cause them to hear. They are like this deaf man. They need Jesus to touch their ears in order to hear. We also see something interesting in the story. Mark tells us that Jesus looked up to heaven and he sighed. The word literally points to having pity or compassion on this man, which is similar to feeding the multitudes or when he saw people with leprosy. Again, Mark reminds us that Jesus isn't the stoic miracle worker who just does miracles without being moved with compassion for these people. He's not doing miracles to show His power or to show how great He is. It is truly that He is grieved by the suffering of His people. He's not merely the one who opens the ears of the deaf. He is the one who opens the ears of the deaf of whom He has pity And compassion. It points us to Isaiah thirty five, which speaks about a Messiah who will come and open the ears of the deaf, and the tongue of the speechless will sing for joy. This is ultimately the reeling for the reason for the healings which we see Jesus perform is to reveal himself as the Messiah, to reveal himself as the one of whom the prophets spoke. And that is the reason why Jesus tells this multitude not to tell people that he is the Messiah. Why? Well, we see that their focus was on this. Mark tells us. What did they proclaim? Did they proclaim Jesus, this Messiah, who was promised in the Old Testament, he has come, it's God's kingdom opening up to us, the Gentiles? No. They said, he does all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Their focus was on the miracles. The miracles were intended to point to him being the Messiah. The miracles were intended to point to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and to verify this proclamation. Yet their zealous proclamation of Jesus wasn't focused on him. It was focused on the miracles. And it's interesting to note that miraculous works do not always lead to obedience. Jesus asked them not to proclaim these things yet they disobeyed him and they did that anyway true faith always leads to obedience of Jesus words today we see many people performing miracles many people witnessing miracles yet their lives do not reflect that they live in obedient ways to Jesus let us not be like that let us not be distracted by miraculous works yet disobey God The mission of Jesus and the kingdom of God, yes, is verified by miracles. The miraculous happen. We should pray for healing. We should pursue to see God moving in powerful ways. We shouldn't make the same mistake that the multitudes make where our proclamation of Jesus is merely that he's a miracle worker because he's so much more than that. In Mark, we see the kingdom of God is opening up to the dogs, to the Gentiles, He's rewarding the faith of dogs, rewarding the Gentile faith by healing her daughter. And he opened the ears of a deaf dog in the second point. And this final episode, where Jesus feeds the multitudes, kind of brings this point of the inclusion of the Gentiles home. With the third point being Jesus feeding hungry dogs. Jesus feeding hungry dogs. And as Matt read that story, it's quite easy to feel a sense of deja vu. I mean, Mark 6, 30 to 44, which Peter preached on a few weeks ago, has almost exactly the same narrative. A great great crowd gathers to hear Jesus' teaching. They have nothing to eat. Jesus has compassion on this hungry crowd. He tells his disciples to go and fetch something to eat. They find some bread and fish, they see it's not enough, and he multiplies it. The great crowd eats, and they're satisfied. So for this reason, many people have argued that it's actually the same story, just being told twice. I don't think that's the case. I don't think Mark tells uh, any healing stories twice. He tells a story to point to it. There are also many differences between the stories. The one was in the Jewish area, this one is more in the Gentile area of the Decapolis. The reason why the people needed or couldn't have food in the first story, they didn't have enough money to buy food, yet here they don't have enough bread. And also the number of baskets being left over, 12 verses 7. So the real question is, why does Mark tell us this? Why is Mark showing us another feeding story that is so similar to the first one? I mean, he's already showed us. That Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who is the one providing for the Jews in the same way that God did in the wilderness. Is Mark just beating a dead horse here? I think the key in understanding what's going on here is to look at the development from the first feeding to the second one. So we have the first feeding with Jesus feeding the Jewish 5,000. He then walks on water. And in that story, Mark tells us, that the disciples were still unable to understand about the loaves. Meaning, they saw this miracle, they saw that Jesus is God, yet they're still without understanding. In chapter 7, Jesus teaches that obedience is not about obedience to the Old Testament law, but that it's obedience to God's law, and that hypocrisy is at the core of our hearts. And then we have the Syrophoenician woman begging to have some of the crumbs of this messianic bread, And so this feeding, Mark is telling us that Jesus is not coming to merely give the dogs crumbs, but that he is feeding them in exactly the same way as he fed the multitudes of Jews in Mark 6. This feeding story shows us that Jesus isn't feeding the dogs the crumbs and the children get bread. Both the dogs and the children get bread. Bread, in the same way the mission of Christ and the proclamation of the kingdom of God is now proclaimed to the Gentiles in exactly the same way as it was proclaimed to the Jews the Jews hear a similar message and they share in the same bread as the Gentiles the Jews and the Gentiles share in exactly the same messianic bread This feeding of the 4,000 Gentiles, this fills out this narrative which started with the Syrophoenician woman about allowing the dogs to share in the crumbs. In this discussion, Jesus shows us that the Gentiles are now sharing in the bread. And so when we take a step back and we look at these three miracles briefly again, in light of what we know now about this message proclaimed to the Gentiles as well, we see these miracles making a lot more sense. The first miracle, which is actually a dual miracle, right? We see a Gentile with a seed of faith, which is a miracle in itself, and Jesus ridding this Gentile daughter of an unclean spirit, showing that the dogs are not as dirty as the Jews thought. His mission is to the dogs as well. In the second miracle, we see a dog who is not able to hear, and Jesus providing ears. To him in light of Isaiah 35 5. Then the ears of the deaf shall be opened and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. I'm without doubt that the Jews would have seen this promise as only applicable to them. Yet Jesus comes and shows us that he is the one who opens the ears of deaf dogs as well, both physically as well as spiritually. His mission is to them as well. And finally, In the third miracle we see Jesus providing food, sustenance and nourishment to the hungry multitudes. Similar to the way in which God provided for them in the wilderness with manna. And similar to the way he provided for them a few chapters ago. Jesus not only provides bread to the children but he includes the nourishment of dogs since his mission is to them as well. So as we draw to a close... I think the thrust of Mark's argument might be lost on a lot of us. Since many of us grew up in church, we've heard the gospel from a young age and we might assume that the Gentiles have always shared in God's promises. I want us to be reminded of Ephesians two eleven to 13, in which Paul tells us, Remember therefore that at one time you, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, Mark's purpose in including both feeding stories and including the stories of Jesus' mission to the Gentiles is to remind us that while Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, He is the one to lead us out of exile from sin into the promised land of eternal life. We all have the same problem, Jew, Gentile, slave and free. We all have sinful, defiled hearts in need of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. This story reminds us that there is no people group beyond the salvation of Christ. We should pray for people of all nations and seek to share the gospel with whoever we can. And this leads us to ask the question, well, who are the dogs in our society? It's very easy for us to read this and be like, yeah, yeah, we were the dogs, then we're part of it now. But who are the dogs of society today? Is it maybe that blue-haired lady waving her pride flag at the pride parade, shouting that abortion should be legal up to the point of birth? Do we pray for her? Or do we view her as a dog, unable to be saved, outside of Christ's saving hand? What about that uncle, that atheist uncle who just goes on about how Christianity is fake, At every Christmas dinner, he makes remarks about Jesus. He blasphemes. Can he be saved? Or is he a dog? Defiled, unsavable. Let us not be like the Pharisees who think we've got a claim to Jesus and those who are the dogs cannot be saved. Let's be like the Syrophoenician woman who knows we deserve nothing but the crumbs. Let us have faith in the grace and mercy of God who saves dogs like us. So, do dogs go to heaven? I don't know. Maybe. But one thing is sure. There is enough of the messianic bread of life for us all. Let us approach Jesus with hearts of faith, knowing we deserve mere crumbs, Yet we have received so much more than what we deserve. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning with empty hands. Acknowledging our dependence on you. Father, you are the one who provides for us with everything that we need. Lord, we know... Apart from your provision, we have nothing. Apart from your providence in our lives, Father, we will go through this life naked with nothing. And so, Father, today we are in awe of the work of Christ on the cross. In awe of the work which unites us to our Heavenly Father, Lord. Lord, we... We thank you that we who are Gentiles by birth, Lord, we who share in absolutely none of the promises of Israel in the Old Testament, Lord, you have included us in those promises, Lord. You have given us your Son to die for us, that we might share in this messianic bread, that we might share in the spiritual nourishment and eternal life, which you promise. Lord, I pray that we might not be like the Pharisees who look to others who are not like us and think of them as dogs, unsavable, unapproachable, Lord. Lord, I pray that we might be humble and pray for those who are not Christian. Lord, I pray that we might have zeal to speak the truth in love to those around us and that we might share the gospel with the people of this nation, Lord. Father, you see the needs of the people in this country, Father. You see their spiritual bankruptness, Lord. A country that is so prosperous, a country that is so full of money and pleasure, Father. Yet they are spiritually dead, spiritually deaf, Lord. Father, I pray that you may open the ears of the deaf, that they might hear the gospel of Christ. Lord, we are your servants. And Father, we pray and implore you lord to use us as you deem fit I pray this in jesus name amen